I've never been succinct. <laughs> let me let me explain. Yes. <laughs> That's the follow up there. That's the punch. <laughs> Hello and welcome to It's Not TV. It's a podcast. I'm Nicole and along with me is David. Hello, hello. Welcome back to season three of It's Not TV. This season we are covering each episode of House of the Dragon on the pod as they air. Spoiler warning, we will be covering the current episode as well as any that have aired previously. Spoilers for Game of Thrones show and books are all fair game. If you do not want to know what happens when you know something Damon does not know, consider yourself warned. (laughs) That said, we will not be spoiling the ending of House of the Dragon. If you want to know, go read Fire and Blood or your favorite Reddit thread. So before we get into this week's episode, we have very exciting news. Even though this is our last episode covering House of the Dragon for season one, we will be in your feeds next week. We are releasing a new podcast called Novel Context, where we will deep dive books the same way we've been deep diving House of the Dragon. For our first season, we are making sense of the classic horror novel, Dracula. We're so grateful for everyone that has joined us for Hot D, and we hope you'll join us to explore how much weirder the real story of Dracula is. All right. Episode 10, the season finale titled The Black Queen. So our time jump here is pretty teeny. It seems like it's a direct continuation of where episode nine left us off. Uh, So however long it takes for Maylees to fly from King's Landing to Dragonstone. So I had to ask myself, how fast can dragons fly? And what did yourself tell you? Myself didn't have any ideas. Um, (laughs) So I had to go to Reddit. I was all out of ideas. I had to go to Reddit. Uh, The nerds did the math. So based on their calculations uh, from mentions throughout the books, it seems like dragons travel somewhere between 30 and 50 miles per hour. According to the Reddit math, King's Landing to Dragonstone is about 420 miles. Smoke them if you got them. <laughs> so Rainey's dragon flight took somewhere between eight and 14 hours. Also, dragons are imaginary. And I spent way too much time researching this. I regret everything. So How would people even calculate the speed of the dragon? Because, like, what if they're doing a deep dive? They can only go 50 miles per hour. Come on, Vagar's going like 100 on a deep dive easily. So, okay. So when I read that 30 to 50, I thought that was slow. It is slow. My bike, as fast as I can ride it, is like 13 miles per hour. That I know that people can ride their bikes faster on the downhill. That seems fucking fast to me. But if you think about that, 30 miles per hour, there's only a differential of like 20 something between a bike and a dragon. Listen, Nicole, you are like the wind, but I call bullshit that a dragon can't double your speed. <laughs> I know. I agree. I'm I agree. The, the 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 pin on this. So as our producer cut about a 20 minute discussion on this, Nicole and I call bullshit. bullshit. Dragons are faster. Uh, what happened this episode? We had a big finale. Well, well, give me the deets. Let's get into the quick and dirty version of what happened this episode. Rhaenyra empathizes with her son's burden. Then news of her father's death causes her to miscarry her daughter. 
Sir Eric arrives at the service with her father's crown and the Black Queen is crowned. Otto brings terms to the queen. She gives the impression that she considers them. Damon is readying his war. Seemingly tortured by the pain of loss and distrust, he is blind with rage. Lord Corliss is physically on the mend while his wife reminds him of his family and his duty. He pledges his fleet and the narrow sea to the Black's cause. Amond and Luke lose control of their dragons in the storm's end skies, and Vagar makes a little sea snack out of Arax and Luke. Aww. Rhaenyra's loss of her second son and Amon's first move begins the Dance of the Dragons. Oof. Do you think that Vagar enjoyed his in-flight meal? It didn't even, it seemed like Vagar just like chomped and spit. So no. Yeah, I don't think he was, he might have ate a little bit of Arax, but there was a lot of leftovers. Like he got the burst of the gusher. But not he didn't eat the exterior. Yeah. So did you like the episode? I did like the episode. I loved the episode. I think that the first few episodes for me were really cool and we were finding the tone and there was cool scenes and I liked what was happening. But the back half, once we did the switch. Yeah. And we sort of slowed down our storytelling a little bit. I'm enraptured. I loved it. I thought it was awesome. I don't know if it was my favorite episode but it definitely had at least my favorite single shot which was when luke arrived at storm's end and he spots vagar off in the distance like illuminated by lightning oh chills now what about you did you love this episode your favorite best episode yet uh, I really liked the cyclical nature of this episode to, from the first one mm -hmm. a lot of similar beats a lot of Things that you saw Rhaenyra learned okay. that she maybe she acted differently towards um, in her younger years. I really appreciated that about the episode. I think this was a very strong, very emotional, action-packed episode that I feel like hit on everything that all of their fan types enjoy without being servicey or like playing on people's like shock value. So I really, really enjoyed this one. Yeah. Okay, let's dive into the episode. So when Renice breaks the news to Rhaenyra that her father is dead and her crown has been stolen, she seems genuinely shocked and hurt, physically hurt too. Actor Emma Darcy carries the scene and a lot of this episode with just their facial expressions. How great was Emma this episode selling Rhaenyra's journey, even without a ton of dialogue? They were pretty great. I think what I'm most impressed about is Emma is able to emote a lot by doing oh, yeah. very little. That stare at the end. Oh, yes. That I and I, I think this shows a lot of confidence in in the cast and the writers and the creators and especially Emma in that you don't have to say like, how dare they? I'll cut them down and I'll kill them and I'll do this and I'll. And I think even in the books, there's a little bit of a speech. And Emma Darcy was able to go, nah, son, watch this. I'm just going to look at the camera. In my mind, which I know nothing, I haven't actually seen an uh, interview or anything that addresses this, but I have this like thought in my mind that she did have speech in the script and they realized in filming her, they didn't even need it. And it was like, no, that was great. Just, you know, when they, like you, I yep. hear in other interviews, I don't know that this was done for this show where they're like, do one for the director, do one for the writer and then do one for yourself. Oh, okay. And yeah. I feel like they kept they kept the one where they just did it with their emotions. So Rhaenyra lost her daughter as a result of just the culmination of the betrayal and the loss of her father. How gut wrenching was her miscarriage? And what do you think this scene tells us about her journey this season? 
I thought we were done with brutal miscarriage scenes. It's been a lot. And so I I think what it shows us for Rhaenyra, her bounce back from that scene was something. Because I think she felt at one of her weakest when she had her miscarriage. Uh, she has said before that her battle, all right, she heard this from her mother, the battle is in in the the birthing chamber, right? And so I feel like mm-hmm. she probably felt her lowest after her miscarriage. Like she was told news, and as the queen, she should be sending off soldiers and and stuff. And instead, she was having a miscarriage while Damon was doing all of that. So I think she felt pretty low at that moment. And then, of course, as they were setting the baby ablaze, um, and everyone kneeled to her with the crown, I think it reaffirmed for her that the moment of weakness, uh, if perceived by her as such, was irrelevant in the grand scheme of things, that she is still the Black Queen. She is still their queen. So I think it was it was a great lesson, I think, just in a few scenes of that, even at your weakest, when you feel like you're not doing enough, that you haven't earned the title, the job, the role, yeah, whatever, that with the right support, they can see your strength to survive that moment. So for me, I think it was an encapsulation of her the whole way through. What about you? I think that she obviously turned a corner with maturity um, and started to really take the points, the little uh, bit that she got from her father, just even by example, not necessarily in training, and really embody the type of leader that he expected from her and why he named her heir and why he ended up keeping her heir. I do not think that it was a moment of weakness for her, even though it was perceived that way. Mm-hmm. If you think about how she would not let anyone help her or near her oh, or touch her. True. It seemed like she was maybe proving it to herself that she could do it. Yeah. Okay. So episode one, Emma has Balon removed from her without her consent. Rhaenyra is miscarrying Visenya, her first daughter. Their hair is styled the same way. Just a lot of mirrors to her mother here. And also in medieval Europe, one fifth of women's deaths were attributed to childbirth. So it is literally Russian fucking roulette every single time a woman gets pregnant, which is her duty. Yeah. And I think the interesting part here is you would say to yourself, well, you had two boys. Fucking stop it. Like just you, you, you cashed in every time. Like you said, it's like Russian roulette. You pulled the trigger twice. You got away with it. Your odds don't get better or worse. Your odds are still the same to die. That being said, the world is fucking brutal and people are dying left and right for various reasons. So you really do have to stock up because at some point Corliss had two kids, uh, Valerian, and probably thought he was good. And now both of his kids are dead and he's got a couple of grandkids floating around. But it does point to the fact that with modern eyes, we'd look back to the Middle Ages or even the Game of Thrones and we say, hey, listen, once you got your heir, like, stop it. But you don't know that your heir is going to fall off a fucking horse or whatever dumb shit happens. Or their spouse is going to kill them. Yeah. Yeah. So I get it. Like, I think when Emma said, like, oh, our our battles are, you know, to have kids and everything. It's like, okay, I get it. You're making a statement on the world. But I think if anything, we've really seen throughout this season that having children is super important because kids are dropping like fucking flies. (laughs) It's important for sure. So the funeral for baby Visenya becomes a coronation when Sir Eric brings Rhaenyra her father's crown. What do we think of Hot D's version of the King of the North? King of the North! King of the North! 
I thought it was subdued, which was nice. I, I didn't feel like this was the fuck somebody else. Yeah. Because so many of these, especially with the Kings in the North, so many of it was fuck Cersei, fuck Baratheon. So it's like this violence uh, of fucking someone else. I thought this was more about the like, yo, you're our queen. You deserve it. It reminded me more of like how Sansa is sort of crowned. Um, as opposed yeah. to Jon Snow, oh, where yeah. it's this. Absolutely. You're one of us. We're we're not just crowning you because we hate someone else. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you fully. It definitely mirrored the whole Sansa situation. I, I, I think that it was more humble, like humble. It was like a humble. Yeah. It sounded like she was like, you bend the knee to me. Like Otto brought all those lords and no. ladies into the room and said, and said, bend the knee to Aegon and she didn't have to ask anyone to do that and don't come at me because she didn't write the fucking ravens and I fully blame the maester for the wording of that scroll that was given to Lord Baratheon saying remember your oath yeah she didn't write the scroll so don't come at me yeah she's not reminding people to honor her she's she's I don't know how she's accepting it yeah yeah she's accepting it but she's not demanding it yeah I think that's a that's a important distinction that when you point that out I think even Otto, like, we have to have a coronation. Mm-hmm. She's She doesn't run around saying, nope. like, we have to have a coronation. Yeah. It's it's put upon her. Uh, she doesn't demand it. So there's a small thing about this scene, which overall I don't have a problem with. I can move on with my life. But does Sir Eric really walk upon a freaking wake for a child and think, like, this is the right time for me to, like, burst in here and be like, yo, what's up? I'm here for you. <laughs> like, free the room, buddy. It did turn Listen. out really nice, but I was just like, is that what I would do if I came upon a bunch of people mourning a child's a loss of a child? <laughs> I mean, I don't think I'm doing that. I think I think he doesn't know that the baby's dead. I think he's like an old wise man bringing frankincense and myrrh. <laughs> he's he's rolling up and he's like, where'd that baby at? Oh, shit. Well, at least I has the crown. So I, I, I get it, Eric. I, I've awkwardly walked into situations like that. My, my boy chose the right team. Maybe not the right moment. <laughs> he agreed. <laughs> so the next scene, Rhaenyra has sort of an awkward realization that she's McQueen. Guards are escorting her around. Reyna is giving her goblets of Negroni. Spagliato. Oh. With Prosecco. Ooh. The whole thing is pretty surreal for her. Rhaenys said earlier that she had better be prepared to be queen. Is she prepared to rule? Rhaenys points out that Rhaenyra is the only one that's not out for blood. Now, this is pre-dragon eating her son, so we'll see how things change. But what I like about Rhaenyra's take on her father's prophecy is I've been tasked with keeping us unified against a common enemy. Mm-hmm. Maybe I could do that without killing a whole bunch of people. Yeah, well, no, for sure. And I, I think that's an interesting take because obviously Alicent is not taking that. Alicent's approach is, yeah, my son's supposed to be on a throne. It's supposed to be united and it better be my son. Whereas I think Rhaenyra is more open-minded saying like, do I have to be the queen right. to hold everything together? Right. She So she's not, yeah. it's the reluctance to power, right? In in a way, right? She's yeah. not ruling for the power. She's ruling for the people. She has this information and that is her guiding light. And if you think about Viserys' decision when they he didn't want to attack the Stepstones and you apply it to this logic, it's the same thing. We do not need to be worrying about pirates. We need to be worrying about the thing coming from the North, Uh, whatever that is and whenever that comes. I think she's prepared to rule in the sense of purpose. 
Yeah, I think she reminds me in this moment a little bit like Cincinnatus. Uh, so the the Roman emperor uh, was a re- retired like farmer hanging out doing farming things. I don't know, milking goats or fucking cows. I don't know what people do on farms. And uh, Rome was under siege. And so they went to him and they were like, you need to be emperor again. And he was like, hard pass. And they were like, please, like, we need you. And so he came back. He kicked the shit out of the people who were at the at the gates of Rome. And he was like, cool, cool, cool. I'm going to go back farming now. Like, I did the thing that you needed me to do, but I don't have any interest in power. I think Rhaenyra definitely feels like she should be queen. She's been told her whole life she should be. But I think you're right. She's kind of doing this, like, humble moment of, like, is there a way to get to fulfill the prophecy my father put in my hands without necessarily being a queen that has to kill everybody? Maybe not being queen at all, perchance? I don't think that lasts beyond this episode, but... She walked up to that table... And I think could have been perceived as having a bit of a deer in headlights situation happening. And I think that the people around the table took that opportunity to have an opinion, make it make it seem like they had guidance for her. Don't worry, we got you. And mm-hmm. I think she takes that moment to say, no, wait a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got this. <laughs> I know what we need to do. And at that exact moment commands everyone's acquiescence to her plan, which is to like, stop doing your dragon math and let's figure out who our (laughs) allies are. Do you think that her style in this moment is sort of taking too much from her father? I think Damon even literally says like, you sound like your your father father talking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you, do you think she's being too Cyrus the peaceful here? No, I don't think so. I understand why a, a character like Damon would think this, think so, but yeah. it wasn't like King Viserys was hated or plotted against. He was to a great, certainly there were exceptions, but he was a well-respected king. And I think that her showing restraint is very powerful to the people who are in that room. Yeah, I I agree. I think you and I both read it very differently than Damon does. And I think that shows one of Damon's faults as as a leader. And there's a reason they like fucking 12 year old rebellious little girl was named Air instead of you. Right. You hot headed fuck. When Otto Hightower and his overnighted printed green dragon banner from Kinkos arrives, it parallels <laughs> the scene earlier this season when he came for Damon's dragon egg. Not nearly as pretty, though. And Rhaenyra and C-Rax do another very badass entrance, walking right through them, <laughs> which I thought was very interesting that the Kingsguard didn't yeah. apprehend her or anything like that. Where are all the Reddit threads yelling that we could have ended the war right there? Yeah, like they were just... yelling about Rainies last week. <laughs> Fucking dopes. But Otto gives some terms for peace, seemingly from Alicent, as well as a little piece of paper, just to show the nostalgia and that these terms come in peace. Should Rhaenyra have taken the deal? Or I guess, should she take the deal? Yeah, I guess it's still on the table-ish. I'm going to give two answers here. My first answer is is what my gut tells me. And I'm a peaceful man generally, and I don't like conflict because I'm an impatient man, and I like conflict resolved quickly. I would take the out. I would say, Aegon's already crowned. We're going to go to war. A whole bunch of people are going to fucking die. With this deal... I just have to swear allegiance to Aegon. I get Dragonstone, I being uh, Rhaenyra. <laughs> Jace now will be the Prince of Dragonstone over to the fuck. 
David Luke. Malone wasn't printed in the scroll, you don't think? Yeah. <laughs> David Luke Malone gets, gets Dragonstone. I wanted to make sure it's very clear. <laughs> it's I'm talking for the for the <laughs> the Black Queen, not myself. Uh Luke gets Driftmark. The kids become Damon, uh the their their kids become squires and cupbearers for the king. All the kids are legitimized. They were clear on this, like no more bastard talk. So my gut as a peaceful person who doesn't like conflict. Like real conflict. I'll argue about nonsense all fucking day long. That's this is this podcast. But real conflict, I bail on pretty quickly. I think there is an aspect of me that says, dude, just take the deal and like let's save millions of lives. Also, fuck you, Otto Hightower. You're showing up a dragonstone, fucking like 20 dragons to four, without and you don't even show up with a fucking after usurping her crown. Yeah. Like and then take you're like, well, it's a, what's done is done. Just take the deal. We can still avoid bloodshed. I feel like it's like when someone on the street runs up and punches you in the face. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold up. No, you already punched me. There's no holding up now. Right. Do you think that Allison would have been a more compelling message bearer? Yes. And I think that the two of them could have made some some deals with some marriages and actually made this a lot easier. <laughs> I think there could have been like, hey, fuck Aegon, let's marry Helena to you or whatever. I think they could have done some some moving and some shaking. It's a little divorce action. Uh, yeah, I think they could have pulled some strings and made some stuff. Listen, Rhaenyra already got rid of her gay husband and he's off having a grand old, a gay old time <laughs> across the sea. I hope he's living his best life. Yeah, because he isn't on any part of this shit. Um, so I think if Alicent had went, I think they would have legitimately been able to find some common ground. I don't know if she should take the deal. I know that that's I'm kind of copying out of answering the answer or answering the question, but I definitely see taking the deal as feeding her cause Yeah, and how not taking the deal kind of makes it a moot point. So there's not going to be a show if she takes the deal. I feel like <laughs> this is like the same quandary of like burning everyone alive I don't think anyone would let her take the deal the same as I don't think that Otto would have not tried to usurp the throne, even if the kids didn't end up fighting and Viserys didn't have those last words uh, to Alicent. Yeah. So uh, I don't think that uh, I don't. You think Damon would like allow her to take that deal? I don't think so. Fuck no. No, Damon. He would, Damon he would have Daenerys the red keep he would have be yeah <laughs> bells or not right no bells needed yeah so otto brings up the objects of power we mentioned last week aegon has the conqueror's name the conqueror's sword and the conqueror's crown so this legitimizes that for the realm for it makes sense i don't know why he thinks that anything he says is going to make sense and Rhaenyra kind of throws his little hand pin in his face. Yeah, it's like he's trying to pull this like Westerosi possession as nine tenths of the law. Like uh, we have the chair. So that makes us the king, which honestly, not a bad argument. <laughs> like he's got a good like if you were queen, then you would if, like if you had the Iron Throne, then you would have the Iron Throne. <laughs> so. I has the Iron Throne, therefore, I have the Iron Throne. So Otto brings the terms to Rhaenyra. Do you think she was considering it before he gives her the Nymeria passage from the book? Or do you think that the ripped page elicited something from her childhood and her affection to Alicent? Ooh, good question. I don't think that the page changed her decision. 
What I do think it let her know is that Alicent thinks this is a good idea or Alicent is involved in the proposal. I think that's sort of it's the thing that proves that Allison is on board with this plan, because if you say to if Otto gives the deal and Rhaenyra thinks, shit, this is Otto plotting against me. Yeah, probably. But if Otto gives the deal and sort of says, and Allison thinks this is a good idea, she goes, okay, well, I don't think Allison's actively trying to kill me. So I think it gives her a little bit more safety. Reading between the lines. That, yeah, like she can go, okay, if Allison's in on this plan, I wouldn't trust Otto with a deal, period. No, and I don't think Rhaenyra would either. No. But does she trust Otto representing Allison? Sure. That whether or not she takes a deal is, is a different story. But I think she trusts the legitimacy of the offer more by sort of yeah. I, I look at it as like a, a signed letter, yep. right? Like, oh, look, I've got this, you know, uh, what is it that the lawyers do? You have someone put like a fucking notarized. It's like a notarized <laughs> letter from Allison. I promise not to murder like all your children. These terms are coming because I sent them. Yeah, I sent them. Do you think that that she gives extra listen to it because of, of the letter? Because of the page that that shows her Allison's in on this? I think it was kind of like validating the parking of the offer, the terms. <laughs> I think it holds value, but I don't think that it was a sway. I think she already was measuring her next move based on what's best for the realm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Do you think this says anything about her feelings toward Allison at this point? I am really curious about how she feels about Allison right now. I'm determined that it'll change based on on what one of Allison's sons did. Well, she's lost her daughter. You don't think who do you think she blames for that? If anyone. Yeah, I I'm curious because she didn't show a lot of anger towards Otto. I think her emotions were swept up and that her father has died. And I think it was they like they moved against. OK, me. they moved against. So I, I think she's kind of collectively mm. expressing her anger to a large group of people. I suspect that if she really thinks about it, she she thinks Allison is a little less culpable. She probably feels like Allison is being manipulated still. I don't know that she feels like this would be Allison's plan. I think she's based on her last conversation with Allison. She really she seemed to still care about her, maybe even still love her. Yeah. So I, I think it's really difficult because I don't think we'll get to see what her thoughts are on Allison without her now blaming Allison to be in some part responsible for her son's death. Yeah. Uh huh. Absolutely. I was just going to say, I think that it, it entirely depends on how Eamon Hansel, handles the news handoff or or even how they yeah. handle the news handoff. She finds out that Luke is dead, but I, I don't really see this coming from Iman's character, but is he like, holy shit, it was a complete accident, you know, whatever. I was just going for his eye. I wasn't trying to kill him. Yeah. The the dragon behaved completely of its own volition. I, I, I don't know if that's compelling, but or matters at that point, but I, I it just depends on how that news is handled. If, if they're like, yeah, bitch, we got your son. What? Right. So last episode, Otto is doing a lot of scheming until Allison sort of takes over and lays out her plan. This episode, a lot of people have big ideas until Rainier finally makes a call. She's going to rally her allies before making a war claim or move. And then poor Luke gets murdered. So let's talk through her first planet's queen and what we think she'll do next after her son has been murdered. Yeah, so the plan, right, follow me along here. The plan is I'm going to send Jason and and, and 
uh, Luke to secure the Vale, the Stormlands, and the North. So we think those are our, our three people that can help us. So she sends Damon to secure the Riverlands, Rhaenys and her dragon Maylees and uh, Corliss's Valerian fleet are going to go cut off the trade to King's Landing. And then we're going to have the allied armies and dragons eventually surround King's Landing. That'll sort of be the, the plan. I think it makes sense. But I also, when they talked about numbers, they're like, oh, we've got like 20 crossbowmen. We've got 300 men at arms. We got, I'm like, you guys are fucked. Yeah. Like, that was my initial response is you are fucked. And everyone knows where you are. I get that there needs to be a sense of, you know, and this happens in the real world, right? When the president or, or the prime minister goes and hides, right? It's like, oh, all is lost. So I get that there's some element to standing ground. But when Damon describes their situation at Dragonstone, I go, yo, get the fuck out of Dragonstone. Everyone knows where yeah. you are. Yeah. And they've got and so many more people you. than you. Yeah, they're coming for you. Because Rainey so, doesn't know about the conversation that Allison had with Otto. So Rainey's tells them to leave, just oh, like you're true. mentioning. But that's because she doesn't yeah. know that Allison. For all she knows, yeah, it's it's demanded they bring her terms she can't accept. She doesn't know that they're coming to bring terms. Yeah, and I, I regardless of terms, she may still have the right plan. I just yeah. when they start talking about their defenses, I'm like, okay, so one house against another house, sure. But it's one house against basically the kingdom. <laughs> like, I would get the fuck out of dragons. Well, they ha they don't have a lot of people, but they have a dozen dragons. Right, right. But now that Luke's dead, what do you think Rhaenyra will do? I mean, naturally, you think from that face that the bells are ringing for the Targaryen in her. And she's <laughs> going to be out for blood. Um, like we mentioned a few minutes ago. It didn't seem like she blamed anyone specifically for her miscarriage. Uh, so I think that it's undeniable that she would blame them for Luke's death, especially coming as a messenger when they've done nothing to be aggressive towards the Greens. Luke coming as a messenger is what I mean. So I do think the natural next step for Rhaenyra is based on her face, based on our time with Targaryens, that it will... This means war. Yeah. Um, yeah shit's going and, and that was the first move, right? So that's what she said, that they weren't going to make the first move. And seemingly the first move has been made by the Greens. Do you think by sending Messenger Luke with that specific message to House Baratheon was misjudged? Should she have included some sort of offer or gift for with her reminder? Rhaenyra has always taken for granted that people bended the knee to her. She always treated those people like shit. Mm -hmm. She, when she went on her tour around the world to find a husband, uh, she was shitty to those people. She has been a terrible politician from what we have seen. Now, maybe in the gaps, she was super cool. And we missed those in those time jumps. Right. So her like, oh, well, his father bent the knee to me right. 30 fucking years ago. But that was the one she treated like shit. That was the one that yeah. she was rolling her eyes at. Why do you think it would be so easy for the new guy who didn't yeah. experience her shitty self to just go back on an oath that his father pledged, even though she was a little yeah. shit? Yeah, I think she's misjudging everyone right now in the sense that her, oh, well, they pledged to me. That was 30 years ago. And what have you done for them lately? Right. And it shows her naivete to the to the scheming. Yeah. So. Who is it on the scheming, though, is her <laughs> hubby, Damon. Well, he's in on the scheming, but not in on the prophecies. No. So 
the prophecy piece, he finds out that Rhaenyra tells him that, hey, this is the prophecy, didn't, you know, Viserys told me, I assumed you knew. And he decidedly did not know. Um, do you think he even gives a shit? Because he seems to be annoyed that Rhaenyra is acting like her father, his brother, in that prophecies help guide it. Do you think he even cares about the prophecy or is or does he only care that she's dumb enough to believe in it? I think he's overall been frustrated with her throughout the episode for the way that she's conducting herself, reminding him of his brother, eliciting a lot of the angst and animosity mm -hmm. that he has towards his brother, paired with the grief for the loss of his brother, which, you know, probably started, you know, the night before the day before when they were there two days before, however long it was. And he got to see Viserys' condition and how it had progressed. So I, I definitely think that he his aggression is coming in the form of just a blind rage of someone who is in a lot of pain and really conflicted. This this scenario for Damon is is not his best self. He definitely yeah. was a little more measured in Pentos reading and drinking wine and being dined with his girls. So um, we're, I don't think we've seen the last of the worst of Damon. I will say I did not expect, I thought that Rhaenyra was the exception. I thought she was the exception and she's not. Um, and that was a rule I thought that I, there's not a lot of hard and fast rules for Damon. I thought that was one of them. And I was a little disappointed to learn that that wasn't the case. Yeah, so when he grabbed her, I mean, it's not dissimilar to how he talked to her at the at her wedding. I think that... Oh, okay. Fair enough. I think there's this sense that we have with all of these characters where we're always looking for a little redemption, unless they're in defeat, in which case, apparently, we completely write them off. There's there's always this sort of redemption where we, we try to talk ourselves into finding their better, their better selves. And I think we do that with Damon a lot, because Damon is useful in the war to come, so to speak. And I, I think what we try to do is, is say to ourselves, yeah, he's a bad dad and he was a bad brother and a bad uncle um, and a bad husband. Uh, and uh, he murdered at least one of his wives. Um, oh, and, he didn't murder Elena. He, uh, no, he murdered at least one. He murdered. Uh, well, at least one bitch. gives like the opportunity that there could be more. Yeah, uh, I'm just saying, yeah, I, I'm not counting my, my chickens yet. <laughs> he, he last night he gripped up the uh, last night the queen. of this episode. He he choked out the queen. I don't think we can discount the potential of him killing another one of his wives. He doesn't have a good track record, but I, I think we're constantly looking for a way to sort of put him back in the good graces. And I think the producers have certainly talked about this, that they've never intended Damon to be idolized and they're they're a little surprised by it. Do you think that? And you and I have had this discussion about Damon throughout the series. Do you think we idolize him a bit or give him a break because we see that he'll be useful? Or do you think it's Matt Smith's charm? What do you <laughs> think it, is it about Damon that sort of keeps us looking for his best? Honestly, I think it's relatability. I mean, think about someone like Eddard Stark or Jon Snow, how much pressure it is to always do things right all of the time nobody is like that in real life even if you don't act on it we have deep dark thoughts in moments of rage or fear or trigger and i think that it's just more relatable to see someone kind of go both ways and i think that just makes it easier for us as people to accept these characters because we are like them but 
So Damon's big push, though, regardless of him choking out his wife, is I think you should strike quick. And Damon is the only one of the few who actually has war experience. Do regardless of how he doesn't handle it well with his wife on her rejecting his plan, do you think he has the right plan that, hey, fuck it, let's let's go do something about this. Like, let's get violent quick. Do you think he's got a point here? So I only think that the truth of that statement is they were going to get there no matter what. I do think from the viewpoint of the people and the people that you're trying to ally with you, that timing is really important for them to see, like in the case of Renice, that restraint is restraint first, not wanting to be the first one to Mm -hmm. listen. I tried to wait. I tried not to put you guys to the sword and or the or the fire of the dragon. So I do think that the reality is that he knew they would get there. I think that the restraint is what gives them leadership. Yeah, qualities. it gives them like a moral high ground. Yeah, yeah the moral qualities. high ground. Yeah, moral high ground. Yeah. So Damon, towards the end of this episode, in a very cool sequence, uh, sings like some Valerian pop music. And he he rallies Vermithor, uh, who is not named in the show, but is is a giant ass dragon. Is on, in closed captioned. Oh, I'm not a closed caption guy. Oh, yeah. No, he's. Uh, does it say like Vermithor? Yeah. Roar? Something like that. that. I don't know the ex- I don't want to quote it because I don't know the exact, but in closed captioning, it does say. You can't ask me to read and watch. I just, I, I can't. I'm too easily distracted. So uh, that was King Jaharis's dragon. And Damon seems to be, he mentions, he goes through his list of like, we've got this dragon, we got that dragon. Mm-hmm. This dragon's unclaimed. And then we also know that he's been doing his dragon eggs thing. So we may only have like 300 men around the gates. Uh, and like patrol. Right. But Damon is making sure that we've got plenty of dragons for the blacks. Is he the most like, (laughs) is he the MVP here in the war that's coming? Is he the only one that, that is holding all the power? I mean, he's definitely out there scouting for their strongest uh, players for sure. And I think that it also could, in my mind, this isn't, this is hot, my hot take. In my mind, it could be perceived as we are gearing up the dragon, so we're not, so we're sparing men's lives. And I think that oh, okay, th- there could be something there. I don't know if it's actually yeah. what will happen, but you know, rather than sending all of your your troop troops and yeah, yeah, it's kind of like the nuclear deterrence, which is like in in World War II, we were uh, we like I was there for the decision making. Uh, the United States was talking about having to invade Japan. And they said, listen, we're going to lose millions upon millions upon millions of people on both sides if we invade Japan. Dropping one nuclear bomb uh, subsequently, too, would would kill lots of people, but it'd be instant and we'd be able to avoid a long, drawn-out battle that would take more. Whether or not that was an effective strategy or not is uh, has been hotly debated by people much smarter than than us. Hotly debated, but, you know, like, why don't we just get rid of the fucking assholes and yeah, start wars? Yeah, well, now you're really thinking. I think that's the <laughs> along with the nuclear dragons. <laughs> the other big get here is Corliss's Navy. So Rainey's kind of plays on the fence that she doesn't really commit. She's noncommittal until Corliss shows up. And when Corliss shows up, he's like, fuck it. I'm out. Peace. Like, I'm done this shit. And Rainey's kind of makes him the pitch of, listen, Rainier is the only one trying not to have all of planet toasts get destroyed. That's another Westeros. display of rest- restraint, though. Otto gathers all the lords and ladies that could have found out 
um, because they were on on in the castle that Viserys died and then seemingly maybe killed the ones who didn't bend the knee. Rhaenys does not bend the knee to Rhaenyra and she does not do anything about it. No, now, obviously, that's no, and there's several move, scenes about it like, where she doesn't bend. Yeah. So there's more restraint. Yeah. Do you what do you think made her when she sits down with Corliss? She, so she obviously waits yeah. to confirm with Corliss the plan. But then she convinces Corliss that they should go team Rhaenyra. What do you think it is that that sort of sets it sets her off so that when she sits down with Corliss, uh, Rainey's that is, when she sits down with Corliss, she makes this pitch. Is it only because Rhaenyra is trying to avoid all out war? So in an effort to continue avoiding your question, <laughs> the other thing I really like about the scene is Rhaenys has her feelings and her opinions, but it, their front is always united to the public. They have these yes, conversations yes. where she's pissed and she airs it out. Hashtag marriage goals. And but to the public, they are united. And she yeah. I don't I don't fe even feel like her um, what she did was manipulative of Corliss. She's like, you abandoned me. I kept her shit together. Your brother is dead. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, he can't he comes out of that with his thought process that let's just be done. Let's just go be a family. And she's like. Fuck that. You missed that opportunity to just go off and be yeah. a family. You've come yeah. back to the dynamite about to explode. We have to do something. And I've heard and seen the behaviors of the people, at least around the helm and at the helm of each of these sides. And I think that the person who's trying to do what's best for the realm is Rhaenyra. And it doesn't feel manipulative. I... Mm -hmm. I think that ultimately, I think, I don't know why I think this, but I think deep down she knows that Rhaenyra didn't kill her son. Even if she doesn't know he's alive, I feel like there's something, like she believes her, a part of her believes her. I also do not like the producers painting her as like, oh, every time she sees the quiver of a mother, she's weakened. I don't think that at all. Mm. I think Rhaenys is really, really true to what's best for her house. And that is her driver at all times. No. I don't, I think she's an emotional mother and cares about her kids. Don't get me wrong. I do not think that she's like, oh, Allison standing in front of her son. Like, I, I'm a mother too. I get it. I won't kill them. Like, I don't think she ever planned on killing them. I think she wanted them to show them this is power. This is restraint. This is what a free woman looks like. Stay in your prison. Go fuck yourself. That was last episode. <laughs> That's what I think. I'm very, I'm very pro Renice. I don't know if you picked up on that. Yeah. What are the chances that you are rocking that scale armor for oh Halloween? Oh my gosh. No, I'm, I'm, I'm being Linda Belcher, but yeah. yes, a close second. <laughs> so her man Corliss is alive. Corliss yep. had the blood fever, whatever the fuck that is. Uh, but he returns to health and he announced they he they won. He won the Stepstones and he smartly left people behind mm -hmm. to continue running the Stepstones. That's sometimes what you have to do. Like Rhaenyra suggested at the council table. Yes. So do we like where Corliss ended up that he did go on a journey kind of a after his kids died? He was basically went on a bender. For six years, fought a war, won it, secured the land, and now has come back and backed Team Black based on the advice of his wife. Do you like where his story sort of went here? Do you like where we ended with him at the end of the season? I do if the softened man story that he gave Rhaenys in the bed is 
a changed Corliss. Okay. I think that Rhaenyra has control of the narrow sea as, as as he pledges to her. That's all great and grand. But if she's going to continue to have the kind of spitfire, I do what I want, Corliss as part of her table, I think that she's just going to continue to run into obstacles with this kind of like power play. So if he's truly going like, I'm no longer seeking the throne. I'm no longer like I'm, I know my place. Um, I'm going to defend my family. Then yes, I think that I do like this, but if ultimately he gets power hungry again, I think he's going to become a problem for the blacks. Let me ask you this. Cause I, I waver on this at some point. Do you think Rhaenyra should tell them that their son is alive. What do you think is is better for them to know to right now <laughs> yeah. they've grieved their son is dead or do you think it's worse that they're like motherfucker he's not dead we grieve for nothing and we'll never see him again? I don't know which is worse. I'm torn. What do you what do you think is the right call? I don't know what the right call is, but I did think that was going to be the straw that broke the camel's back that maybe she was going to tell her and that was why she was going to get the allegiance. That obviously didn't happen, but I did. Oh, I was like, okay. oh, like, how is she going to sway her? It was just uh, leading. <laughs> it's what swayed I her. Hope they, I hope they know. I, 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 because it's a change from the books, obviously. I think it's too much of a risk now. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a change yeah. from the book. They kept him alive. And I don't know if that's like leaving it open for him to return. I don't think it's in her best interest to tell her at this point. Tell them at this point, because I think you rock the boat. Yeah. And I think when you have characters who dip out, so ignoring whether or not Corliss or Rainey's find out, which I think is the core question I have is, do you even tell them? Yeah. I think the other question we have is, is when sometimes in life, characters serve a purpose and then they go away and you may love them. I think one of the things that Game of Thrones suffered from in its last few years was that every character who you thought was cool. They were like, we got to find a way back. We got to bring back the mountain, even though we probably killed him off. We got to bring back Gendry, even though there's no point for one of Robert's 50 fucking bastards to come back. We got to bring. So there was a lot of uh, hot pie, a lot of that fan service. And don't get me wrong. I cheered every fucking time. <laughs> it works. You got me. But when you step away. I know there were even fans that complained when Danny came over and left Dario Naharis behind <laughs> and they're like, but what's going to Dario's got to show up. No, he doesn't. He, he was a boy toy. He's ruling. Who she used to win a war. Yeah. He's in charge now. Like, so what I don't think I want to see. Yeah. I do think I want to see Corliss and um, Rainey's know that their son is alive. Yeah. What I don't yeah. want to see is him show up to fight a battle yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah, no, I agree with that. But you know what? There might. So sea smoke has not been claimed and they're till death. Do you think that somewhere in the back of Rainey's mind, understanding that bond, the fact that sea smoke is not with another writer, she's like, oh, like it gives her an inkling. That's I like that. Yeah, I, I would. I, I buy that fan fiction. Let's hit the <laughs> let's hit the subreddits. So the epic scene with our boy Luke and Amond, I have to say, among the most beautiful scenes in this season, little sweet Luke spends the whole episode and frankly, his entire presence on the show looking scared as shit the whole fucking time. Yeah. Um, 
he's just afraid he's not going to be good enough that he's not going to measure up, which Rainier is really able to uh, relate to. But when he rolled into Storm's End, he really tried to be brave and make his mom proud. He, he really stayed yeah. to her wishes, which is this is what you're there for. You get there, you drop the message and you get out. Don't fight. You are not there as you. You are there as my proxy. Like, don't fuck around. And I think he really fucking tried. Yeah. I think he handled his rebuttals with Lord Baratheon splendidly. For someone who's never done that before, I think he did an excellent job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How heartbreaking was Luke's arc for you this episode? So it was tough. One of the things I really liked about this was it showed you that sometimes bad things happen to good people. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, we can talk about the kings and the queens fighting back and forth against each other. But Luke's just a kid, man. Like Luke, Luke doesn't mean any harm to anybody. Luke may not like his cousins, but Luke's just a little kid. And so I think this is like you said, he's just trying to make his mom proud. He didn't do anything stupid. Some fans on there were like, once he saw Vagar, he should have got out of there. He's under guest rights. Yeah. He's he's meeting someone who, from his mind, swore loyalty to his mother. What? And they would all be like, what a little bitch. He saw Vagar and like did. Yeah, of course. So, yeah. yeah. Fuck you, Internet. Yeah, it was great. I did like the fact that he tried to get away. I do like the fact that even when his dragon blew fire at Vagar, he told it to stop. He he was trying to de-escalate. He was trying to get away and de-escalate. I don't think he ever had a chance. The The minute they sent him to the Baratheons, I think his number was punched. And I think he showed he went out bravely, I think. But Aemond, on the other hand, one, he got to show off his sapphire eye, <laughs> which is fucking badass. He won over House Baratheon. He's going to nail one of his daughters. Uh, and he accidentally committed a war crime by by a little kinslaying. Three young ladies were it wasn't like Aemond was sticking himself with a fray. Those were nice no, looking young they ladies. Were, they were good looking ladies. Yeah, it's a good deal. So big day for Amond. Well, but yeah, he did accidentally kill his cousin, the half brother, uncle. I don't know. Do you think this is going to change Amond? What do you think that conversation was like when he got back home? So I think what changed the whole scene for me is realizing that Amond wasn't trying to kill Luke. I thought Amond was trying to kill Luke. Yeah. Like, yeah. you do not go hunt down a boy for his eye on a dragon like i thought he was coming for blood <laughs> i don't want to say that my heartbreak completely lays with amon but when i heard him go no vagar and kind of look back i was like yeah. oh my god like he did not mean to do that and just the same as like luke didn't mean to cut his eye out like none of that meant to happen like it came out of situations that escalated out of their control and I also was very surprised to learn. I know that a lot of characters have said like dragons can't be controlled, but yeah. I really didn't think that they would disobey a writer. And I was really surprised when Arax was like, yo, I'm going to burn your whisker. And <laughs> <laughs> Vagar was like, no, bitch, I'm going to eat you. Uh, I was just really like surprised yeah. by that. They were both like, no, no. It was it, that all of that was heartbreaking. And Amon, for me, how he comes out of that, how he delivers this message is is really going to be telling for a, a bullied kid, for this man that's born from a bullied kid. I, I just don't I, I just have yeah. I have no idea what's going to come from that. If he's going to just go deeper into his dark hole or if he's going to 
have some redemption in a, as a character for this. I kind of hope he doesn't because the fucking scene was awesome. And so I want more scenes like this. So in our research, we saw that they, it took them a year to plan the sequence start to finish. Mm. They they referenced like Top Gun to understand how the camera should frame the action between these sort of two things. Incredible. Uh, by the way, if you haven't seen Top Gun Maverick, you fucking should. It's fantastic. I haven't seen Top Gun regular. Uh, just see Maverick. You don't need to see the original. The original actually holds up pretty well. It's got a couple of cheesy moments. But the dragon riding uh, this season, it was all shot in the volume which is a, a giant stage with a wall, a 360 degree wall of LED screens. So the Mandalorian, this is how they shoot it. And it's it's pioneering because instead of having a green screen or a blue screen and then digitally adding in all the lighting that you need, removing the screen, putting in all the elements, they basically use a video game engine and put all of the elements on the screen live. Jeez. So you're actually getting the reflection so when the storm clouds are all blue and dark and thunderous and lightning, you're getting that on yeah. Luke. Yeah, it's happening on him. So it's why it looks uh, so fucking good. Yeah, it and looked it great. looks incredible. It also looked fucking so, miserable to film. So way to go, guys. Yeah. Could you imagine being wet for like days at a time? <laughs> no, Eamon. I hope Eamon goes crazier. Uh, have more of these fights, Eamon. We're, we're all in. He's just going to like lose all of his ability to care he's just gonna become like a loose cannon just it's gonna end up like damon it's gonna end up like like his but see uncle slash brother slash cousin before this episode i thought damon had some rules in place i think amund has some had some rules in place and potentially now it's like over the over the edge and he just won't care he won't have any he'll be just completely numb so in game of thrones we had a couple of dragon fights um, usually it was dragon v other stuff. Uh, the real only dragon fight we had was uh, when the ice dragon was made and we and we had some fights there with Viserys mouth. Yeah, but that episode notoriously was was very dark. I thought the dragon work was good, certainly. But yep. considering we're watching the dance of the dragons and there's been so much effort around who has what dragons, we've already seen uh, dragon battle. Do you think that House of the Dragon is pulling off this sort of like we can have dragon battles that are spectacle, but also mean something and can have some sort of emotional character. Yeah. I mean, when Vagar is asked by Lena to kill her, there's so much emotion from Vagar. I think it's really cool. I, I mean, I think that Daenerys's dragons had personalities, but they, I don't think they were characters as much as they've made the dragons in this season into characters yes. part of the story and it's interesting that they call this the dance of the dragons because it's not the dance of the people riding the dragons the dragons seem like they're <laughs> gonna have a lot more agency all and call over what goes on and, and i think that's interesting because the dragons are going to eventually i imagine kill each other uh, more no. and i would think that there was some sort of alliance there like nah man like, there's like only 20 of us. I'm not going to just start killing off my kind, but I guess that doesn't matter. Yeah. And I wonder if dragons, so I know this is true of cats. So like cats <laughs> do not recognize like parental figures. They don't recognize brothers and sisters. So huh? once you take a cat from its mother, after a short time, it doesn't recognize that it's its mother. They do clans. So if a cat grows up with other cats, it's like that's their clan and they consider us. I did not know that. Yeah, they consider us like goofy members of their clan. So, yeah, I 
I think in terms of dragons, it doesn't seem like they recognize relationship to one another because you assume they're all just like the Targaryens. They're all inbred, right? We right. brought over some dragon eggs. So they're all probably all related. They all hang out around Dragonstone for the most part. So you would assume that they were friendly with one another, but it seems like they're wild animals who just <laughs> listen to their owners most of the time. So, yeah, it's it's interesting that we're starting to discover the limits of that control. Doesn't this really represent the whole like Targaryen situation with dragons? I mean, Viserys said we should have never toiled with dragons. He got off of the Black Dread and never got on a dragon again. Yeah, as always, King T, given wisdom from beyond the grave. He seemed like such a weak man, even pre-deterioration. <laughs> and yet now we're like, damn, that man was smart. Yeah, I miss him. Rip. So just in time for season two, the world of Hot D is expanding to include other big houses from Game of Thrones. Let's do a quick check on where some of the major houses are falling in the Civil War next season. David, take us through Team Green. Uh, so we have the High Towers, obviously. <laughs> uh, and the like four people that walked into the wedding rehearsal dinner. Yes. Is that is that who they have? Who seem really tough and dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so more formidably, we have uh, House Baratheon, which is both uh, uh, which is where Luke and Eamon went to. The Greens obviously made a, a pact with the Baratheons with Aemon to marry one of the daughters. The Baratheons control all the houses in the Stormlands. Which is where Kristen Cole is from, right? Yes. Yes. Yes, he is. Our producer is shaking his head. Yes. I've tried to write Kristen Cole out of my memory uh, the last few episodes because uh, he's a piece of shit. House Lannister. Uh, Tylan is the master of ships. Some ships. Some ships. He's the master. He's, he's like an apprentice of ships. <laughs> all the minor houses in the Westerlands uh, follow House Lannister. And then we also have uh, House uh, Strong, which <laughs> is Laris. Uh, theoretically controls Harrenhal. Yeah, we I guess Harrenhal has people in it after they burned. But that's your your team green that we know of that has locked it in. Uh, what about our team black? So House Valarian and their fleet and seemingly the Narrow Sea. Uh, minor houses near King's Landing like Caltagar, Sauntin, Messi, Darklin. Bormond. And then Meriwether is the house of the man who stands up and says, I needed to confer with my house before I make my pledge my allegiance. And then Lady Fell also says that she's honoring her oath. So we kind of assume they'll be Team Black based on their pledges, um, depending yeah, on yeah. how all of that is handled. I mean, you kill my lord, like, fuck you. Like, why would we be on your team? And then it would seem that uh, Damon's got some loyal men in the City Watch. Like, Harwin would definitely be Team Black. Oh. So let's talk about our free agents, David. Yeah, so we've got House Tully in the Riverlands. Uh, so that's where Damon's going. He's going to meet with Lord Grover Tully. And, and he says their armies are important. Uh, so fun fact here, Nicole, uh, the Tullys in Hot Day are all named after Sesame Street characters. Uh, so we will likely at some point meet Elmo Tully, Kermit Tully and Oscar Tully. I wish I was doing a bit. I am not. Who else we have? House Aaron and the Veil. Jace is flying there to convince Lady Jane Aaron to side with uh, his mother's claim. And then House Stark in the north. Jace is then going to fly to Winterfell to convince Lord Cragen Stark to follow his mother's claim. 
Nicole, this was episode 10. This was how we wrapped our season. Yeah. We talked a few times throughout how much we were enjoying it. But at least on my end, there was a little nervousness of like, can we land the plane? Yeah. Can we get out of the season? Land the dragon. Yeah, land the dragon. Do you think we did it? Absolutely. I mean, I think that I said a lot of times over the episodes of this podcast that I was waiting to see how it all sewed up to decide if the things I was missing, if I needed them. I think that yeah. they were right and I was wrong. I think that we've been trained <laughs> on many other TV shows where all the shit matters. And I'm really glad to say that this first season setting up the Dance of the Dragons was exactly what I needed with no frills. And I, I appreciate that in the end. Yeah. It was tough in the, in, in the mix of it, but I appreciated that in the end. Did you enjoy the way that they ended things, how they wrapped it up? Yeah, I think so. I I had a moment and and having read the book, I know some of the big beats. Now, how exactly those big beats happen and how they change them and tweak them is is still very interesting, right? And they they they've got enough changes to to keep you on your toes. I didn't think we'd get to see Luke's death at Storm's End. So, when when we cut to him like flying in, I was like, "Oh shit, this is how the show's going to end." And then they went through with the scene. I thought they were going to kind of tease us for the book fans. And yeah, I think they nailed it. I think they gave us enough spectacle. I think they gave us enough teasing. Uh, I really think they they did land the plane. What was what was your favorite part, though, this season? I know we're 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 all hyped right now about dragon battles over Storm's End. But what was your your favorite part when we step back? Oh, my God, you're going to hate me. But like when Emma and Olivia started. <laughs> oh. I, I mean, I think that my favorite part is just a character, which is Amond. Like, Amond was so fucking cool. Yeah. To watch the change, to empathize with, to kind of see the mirror of Damon. Even Damon does a couple of hmms in this final episode where I'm like, that's very Amond of you. <laughs> So, or very, that's very Damon of him. So yeah, definitely Amon for me is my favorite part. What's your favorite part? Yeah, I think the back half of this episode, I'm always interested in, and this may be the nerdier stuff, but I've played Age of Empires. I've played Crusader Kings. I've played Dungeons and Dragons. So I like getting twisted up in the, how many men do we have? Where, where's the army located? I, and I get that George R. R. Martin specifically tells fans like, don't get caught up in that shit. I, I think he he said at one point, like, put away the compass and just enjoy the story or something. But I enjoy that because it's sort of the world building aspect to it. So when they're like, there was 20,000 soldiers in the Vale and none of them were used. And then the army shows up and it looks half the size of the Lannisters. I'm like, wait, that doesn't feel right. I liked that for most of the episodes, the numbers felt right. There was no little finger being able to teleport between distant lands. There was no suddenly we've got a 20,000 man army and they all got wiped out. But two episodes later, I've got the army back <laughs> looking at you, Unsullied. So I think the attention to detail and the world building is what I enjoyed the most. OK. And and that's true of like their armor, their gear. Everyone's rocking the sigils and they've got necklaces. Mm -hmm. So I think that the world building throughout the runes. Yep. Yeah, the runes. Yeah, it was just the immersion. Yeah, I felt really immersed throughout the season in king's landing <laughs> yeah dragonstone and driftmark <laughs> yeah for the three places that we hit yeah no it's excellent did you feel like anything left you wanting though was there anything that you felt like eh, i didn't get enough of i i do wish that i had more of those deep draws of conversation between the characters so 
I didn't need them for the story and I, I appreciate that, but I like that. So I did miss that because yeah. of the, of the time jumps and just kind of like getting through the muck, like, you know, how often did Rhaenyra and Allison speak post Viserys announcing that he was marrying Allison? Like, yeah, how yeah. did that first conversation go? Those kind of things left me wanting, but I at the end, standing at the end of the season, I didn't need it to understand their characters. And and in the last couple of episodes, we got to drink in a little bit more, um, which made it a little easier to do that Yeah, in a satisfactory way. I think those jumps, yeah, the, the jumps are... I'm still not sure, Nicole, that we needed five episodes in the past. Mm. And I realized we moved along with the characters. But once we got to our adults, I'm completely I, I think watching Rhaenyra's and Allison's children go through a progression of time was absolutely the right decision. The first five episodes doing jump, 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 jump. The big points. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel I feel like we could have gotten the same. That being said, if you asked me to write one episode of flashbacks, I'd probably fuck it up. Right. So these pe- these folks know more than me. But I do, I do feel like we could have gotten there without five episodes in the past. Yeah. But it's it's easy to say that. And then if you yeah. take it all away from me, I may feel like we didn't get to spend enough time. I hesitate to agree with you only because I, I wonder if the back half of the season was so productive because of what they set up in the first half because of the groundwork so are we yeah. like we didn't need it because we had it we had it yeah exactly it's it's uh, again i am glad we got it i i think especially the the lead actresses who were the major characters who took us through those were phenomenal so i say i think we could have done without but to your point it's hard to say that that's true that being said just something more recently i think i i could have done more with again because i'm a world building guy i like to know the stats i like to know the things Laris made a call, the clubfoot, to kill his father and his brother to take over Harren Hall. We had a single scene in Harren Hall of the fire and it burning down and it looked like people lived there. <laughs> and now is so Laris is the Lord of Harren Hall, I guess. Yeah. But is he ever there? Is he doing stuff? Is he he's not on the council. So he's not a major lord, it looks like, like in terms of of like the Lannisters or Corliss. And he still shows up in King's Landing all the fucking time. So. I think what sometimes I get trapped up in is probably just the boring like, so what's the day to day in the life of Harrenhal? Like, it's a cursed giant fucking castle that he killed his brother and his father for, and we never see him there. That's where the Great Council was held too, right? Yes. Yes. So like... So this is a large place that Rhaenyra even calls out in this episode, like maybe we can all gather here. Or maybe it was Damon. Yeah. Like thinking they're going to take it from him. Yeah. Like, so are they going to take it from him? Is it fortified? Is it... A haunted castle is I, yeah, I don't understand. Is it rented out maybe like an event space? Yeah. <laughs> so, again, it's just a, a little nerdy thing where I'm like, it was made to be, hey, he killed his brother and his father to take this. So now what? So, David, you read the books. Was this better than the books? Any big letdowns or are you mad about the departures, the changes? What's going on? I think it was better than the books, but I think that's an unfair question because the books read very dry. Yeah, it's just this happened and this happened. And every so often you get a quote. Mm -hmm. I really struggled reading. I read all of the book, which takes us basically up to the Blackfire Rebellion. So it takes place a few kings before Dance of the Dragons and and follows a little bit after. Uh, So Dance of the Dragons probably makes up like 20 or 30 percent of the book. Uh, The first fire and blood, there will be a sequel. Yeah. 
there's nuance that just doesn't exist in the book. There's emotion that doesn't exist in the book. So I do think, though, that although the show is better for adding that, I think the last few seasons of Game of Thrones showed us that when you're interpreting George R.R. R. Martin's characters, you can miss. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when they got away from the books, some of it was a win. I'm not a D&D hater mm-hmm. in that everything they did was wrong. Yeah, even George R.R. R. Martin loved Patty's Viserys more than his. So Yes. So he loved this. So I think there is, I think they they got way more right than they got wrong, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think that the biggest thing that I like that they changed uh, I would say it's it's tied for me. The the two things that I think were were really big wins uh, that were decisions changed from the books. I think one was keeping Laner alive. I mm-hmm. think that was a big win that got like a hoot and a holler from me. Again, if it was just so that they're not burying their gays. Great. Stop killing gay characters. If that's the only reason you're not doing it. Cool. Don't do it. But I do think it shows more humanity um, for both Rhaenyra and Damon. So I think it, it it served both a plot purpose and maybe a larger context. Yeah. And you brought it up earlier. Dragons having agency mm. in this final episode, mm-hmm. uh, and, and especially when they're going to burn Lena. I think that those drips of having dragons be wild animals is something I didn't get from the text. And I think those are big improvements. So I, I think that's that's a big plus. The Internet says that Agree agrees with what you're saying. I haven't read the books. The internet agrees with what you're saying that the book reads really dry and doesn't have a lot of detail. However, this last two episodes, there is a lot of passages in Fire and Blood specifically pertaining to the usurp and the response to that. Did you like the way that they interpreted that because it because argue, arguably it was a little bit more story than you'd been given. Yes, yes, there was more to pull from, and they sort of chose to ignore some of it or tweak some of it. When I read the book, everyone read like caricatures, and that is fine because there were literally fucking hundreds of them. It's a very tough read. I'm sitting on the turlet and I've got twelve <laughs> fucking Aegons to keep track of. It's very <laughs> difficult to read that book. But to your point, the last few uh, areas we covered were more written than the others. But I, I do feel like the book kind of was was very broad. Even the character speeches were broad when they when they gave you dialogue. It was broad and it was kind of villainy. Uh, Amon, you know, he, he's going to tie someone to the fucking railroad tracks uh, in the book. He's got that sort of like very broad villainy aspect to him. So I do think that they toned down some of that. Yeah. And, and I think they're better for it. Again, I, you're not going to agree with every decision they make. Right. Uh, but of course, in general, I, I think it I think it worked. And uh, Ryan Condal, the, the, the showrunner, said specifically that season one was the setup right. for the Dance of Dragons. So we've already had some stuff, but it's it's really the setup as a setup to what is likely three more seasons. Uh, George R. R. Martin said he thinks that's going to be four to five seasons, likely four do you think this works as sort of the first 20 percent as act one of of this story? Do you think it, it set us up in excitement and showed us where we're headed? Yeah, I think that it set us up really well. Um, and I didn't feel like I was being set up. I don't feel like we came to the end of the season with any sort of like filler or like. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now, can we get to the story? I really in the end, standing here at the end of the season, I really do feel like they did a really good job telling a compelling story while also putting the pieces in place. Do you think that it worked well as a setup season? I do. What's really interesting to me is 
there were no outside of a skirmish at the at the Stepstones. There was no large scale battles. So I'm very excited to see how that happens in season two. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad they held off in season one. I'm glad we sort of let's get our feet wet. Let's prove that we know how to do the the old Game of Thronesy stuff, the sneaking and the the secrets and and the plotting. And let's up our dragon game. But there's still like actual war coming. I think it would have been a disservice to the show if we had like a big battle sequence, if they pulled something in from the future, because I I think it would have shown like, listen, you get your plotting, you get your dragons and you get a big battle sequence all in the first season. And the next season, it's kind of more of the same. I think we were able to give us a lot of what we wanted and still hold back. So I ended the season going, holy shit, we ended with an awesome dragon battle. We've seen a few different dragon things. We've seen a couple of sword fights here and there, but we've still got so much more ahead of us, not just for book readers, but you know, Nicole, a war is coming. Right. So you're like, we're going to see armies. We're going to see more dragon fights. So I, I think it did a good job of it didn't look like it held things back. I was just saying, do you think that it lived up to your expectations as a spinoff of Game of Thrones? I think it was better. I was really burned out by season eight. I I was not burned out in season six and season seven of Game of Thrones. Like like some people, I, I stayed with it, I, whether I agree with decisions or not. But eight kind of burnt me out. And I just recently rewatched it. It's not as bad as I remember. It's certainly enjoyable. But I was a little worried coming into this season that it would be. I think I never expected it to be bad. I expected it to be good. I think it would learn its lessons from Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. uh, the story is interesting. I know enough about it to know that there are cool things that they could show. I think I expected it to be good. I don't know that I expected it to be quite as water -clury. You and I obviously have a podcast about this, but we discussed this amongst yep, our friends. Yes. It's it's the hot topic again. It's as it's as in my circle. It's as big as Game of Thrones ever was mm -hmm. in terms of excitement level. And just to think they did all of that without like raping women every scene and showing you tits all the time. It's not needed. So I, I think when you compare Game of Thrones and I get it's like apples to, to apple tree, I guess, because it's a spinoff. It fell off the old tree. I think some of the key takeaways, and I described this as someone the other day who said they hadn't watched Game of Thrones. And I said, well, listen, this one has less nudity and a little less violence, but more dragons. Mm -hmm. I also think it's less less sort of gimmicky. It felt less fan service-y mm -hmm. um, than, than Game of Thrones certainly did in its later seasons. I felt it was a little more mature. And I think... One, I, Ryan Condal is obviously an excellent writer, excellent showrunner here. I also think that uh, Miguel Sapochnik is is a quality director and a lot of women, more women. There was several female directors and writers as part of this show. I think we'd be foolish to think that they didn't influence this and kind of class the joint up a bit. So that's what I was going to ask you. Do you think that Ryan Condal's A Fresh Set of Eyes was was the reason for the difference, do you think Miguel had less control over Game of Thrones and came in and was like, this is going to be better? You know, do you think that George was like, fuck it, I'm involved now. This is going to be better. Or do you think that it's the the woman's perspective with all the with Sarah at the helm right there with Ryan writing and making decisions about each and every word and how the information was being delivered and then our female directors, Claire and Gita? It's a good question. Yeah. And I don't know that we'll ever know the answer, but I, I would, if I had to point, I would say that having a writer's room makes a big difference that, uh, D and D and game of Thrones, they were the writers and mm -hmm. occasionally other people wrote episodes, but 
this was an example where they had a writer's room making decisions together. And we see it every week uh, when we watch the making of sort of after the show is everyone talks about, well, we and there's a lot of we decision making. Yeah. And I think when you get a lot of smart, creative people in a room who have varied experience, who aren't all a bunch of just white dudes, they're going to have different inputs. For sure. No, absolutely. The female perspective, I think, changed a lot of this. I think that House of the Dragon lived up to my expectations as a spinoff. I didn't have a problem with with the way that Game of Thrones ended. I enjoyed the whole ride, even if I had questions, even if I didn't agree with things. I'm here for it. I'm here for House of the Dragon. I'm here for whatever spinoff they want to throw at me. I have opinions. If you want to know them, you know, hit me up. (laughs) Subscribe to our podcast. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think the female perspective is definitely something. I think that the relatability of the characters is something. But we have to remember that D&D had a fantastic first season, too. So we're saying this at the end of one season. I'm very happy with where we're at. And I'm not saying I never had questions throughout this season. So I I think that as we move on, I'm going to have my opinions and my thoughts about it. Overall, for this season and what's to come, I'm very excited. All right. It's time for the final lightning round for House of the Dragon season one. Our producer has prepared some questions about the episode based on the hottest Twitter and Reddit threads so far this week. So there were lots of Internet complaints about the changes and omissions from the Fire and Blood book. Like we mentioned, no one would argue that House of the Dragon has been a bad adaptation. So what was the most absurd adaptation complaint this season? Uh, so I think for me, I really enjoyed the Lena change where she was burned to death by Vagar. <laughs> Explain yourself. Yeah, I didn't enjoy that that happened to her. I enjoyed the change. So in the books, it seems like she goes off for one last ride and kind of dies on the steps. She doesn't make it. The The show changed it so that mm, okay. she made it to the dragon okay. and demanded that the dragon burn her. I think that was a really good change. Okay. One, it was just less of a bummer. We got enough bummers, especially around birth. Let's let's have a let's have a win. Uh, what about you? Most absurd. I think complaining about the fact that in uh, it's, I'm going to say to this episode, the fact that Rhaenyra didn't explicitly say I, ha- I had a daughter and explicitly say that I named her Visenya or I plan to name her Visenya. This is something that's in the books. I think that maybe I'm learning from you guys, from the showrunners, but I didn't need that to understand the emotion of losing a child in birth. Like I didn't need all of that. And it's inconsequential. And I think that people um, claim clinging to like details like that is silly the same way that maybe some people are like, oh, this is book reader service. Like, I I think you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So I think that what they put out was pretty damn amazing. And I think it's just silly to cling to little details like that. Agreed. Uh, so the Internet is fan casting. Oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's, it's just the Internet. No one's been signed yet. Uh, so... <laughs> so excited about this let's do this question if i could just let you finish saying it so the internet is already fan casting <laughs> lord craig and stark who obviously is the most anticipated character in season two uh some are saying henry cavill our gorgeous superman some are saying alexander dryman from last seat last kingdom let me talk a little bit though to our fans about what we what we actually expect from craig and stark here he is closer in age to jace than Rhaenyra. So that puts him probably in his 20s. So a lot of fan casting is swinging in here with a lot of 50 year old dudes. So let's let's slow the roll. 
in Fire and Blood, he's portrayed as a young looking fellow with a phenomenal beard. Uh, he very much looks like a star. He looks very Drogo. He does. Yeah, he does. Yeah, it's a very flowing, very Kyle Drogo-esque beard. Uh, but he's a young fella. In the books, he's described as an excellent sword fighter. Uh-oh. And there's a lot more about him that, that we hope to see in season two. But the internet is obsessed. One, they're already selecting uh, Superman slash The Witcher, Henry Cavill. No. Because apparently he doesn't have anything to do. He wants to go do another show. Too pretty. Uh, the other big one we've seen on the internet is Alexander Dryman. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, from The Last Kingdom. Nicole, tell us about Alexander Dryman and why he's a good fit. Well, I can't tell you a lot about him, but I can tell you a lot about Uhtred. He he plays Uhtred, which is one of the main characters in The Last Kingdom. I think that he has the look that this picture is going for. He's a little bit older, but he reads youngish. I don't know if standing in the screen okay. with the actor that plays Jace, at least the current actor, which I believe he's moving forward in the next season. I have no idea, but that would be my assumption. Yeah. I don't know if sitting in the same scene as him is going to make him look older or too old. Um, but I think he could read properly if needed to. I, I think that he is a very handsome and young face. <laughs> definitely. I like this pick. This is definitely one of my favorite picks for sure. So I'm not into the Superman pick. I think he's too pretty to be a star, yeah. to be very clear. I don't, you know, you, you, I'm not coming at you. Starks are blue collar. The blue collar. Yeah. So, and I also like the kind of draw because Ewan, who plays Amon, was Osferth in The Last Kingdom. So it could be interesting. I don't know how they interact going forward, but it could be interesting to see them. Yeah. Uh, they have really good chemistry in The Last Kingdom. If they were to interact in the midst of all of this, I'd love to see it. Yeah. So I'm torn because uh, you put Henry and Cav Cavill in something. I'm going to watch it. Okay. He's, he's gorgeous and he's a fucking nerd. He's he's what all nerds would like to aspire to. Hmm. Uh, for those that don't know this, when I say Henry Cavill's a nerd, he does Warhammer miniatures. Like in his spare time, he paints miniatures mm -hmm. for sci-fi role-playing games. I've seen these at the comic book store. Yeah, he is a fucking nerd. And I say that with like love, like XOXO, Henry <laughs> Cavill. I think I'd go with, I just saw him recently, we talked about it earlier, Top Gun Maverick had Miles Teller in it. Miles Teller's oh. in a bunch of stuff. He was in Fantastic Four. He was in the drumming movie. Uh, he gets around, but he had a mustache in Top Gun Maverick. And I'm like, you grow out that mustache into a little bit of beard. You, you got a little Stark in you. Yeah, a little, a little uh, Stark in you. He also, he's kind of got a little bit of strong in him. He, he looks a little strongish. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm not, I like Miles Teller and I, I think he's a good actor. So I'm not going to, I don't, I don't think he would do a bad job. My trouble with Miles Teller is that he's American and that's a lot of like, oh, accent so fucking <laughs> racist. In, it, when english people or australians do american accents i can hear when they slip it's distracting i think that we need i didn't do a, a full pull of like the harry potter cast but i feel like there's a lot of british actors um charlie hunnam a, a little age a little high he's age. like 60 he years looks, old he's not he's 45 i think and he looks just like that picture and plus, if you look on the internet, he plays King Arthur, so you can kind of see him in a medieval way. So I really like, I really like that. Like, he definitely looks like a Stark to me. So Damon mentioned there was a lot of free agent dragons out there for the Blacks to take. Who do you want to become a dragon rider next? And I will tell you mine, and I'm going to scream it from the rooftops. Bela, 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 Bela. Go ahead. Bitch has to get her dragon. She's got to stop waiting. Get out there and get one. You're hanging out all day long above the dragons like they are in the garage. 
If there are these dragons in the garage, why is Eamon missing an eye? Why didn't he just go get one of those dragons all of those years of the pink dread? This is ridiculous. She can't call dibs on a dragon that she hasn't. You know how dibs work. You have to be within eyesight of the dragon. At least one eye. She was was mourning her mom's death. Yeah, I, I disagree with I, I'm, I'm team Bella, but team Bella's got to go get her own dragon. I'd like to see an unknown. I would like to see some non royalty. Hmm. Uh, I want to I want to see. Uh, can we get some dragon riders who are not Valerians or Targaryens? Maybe sort of kind of. We got some bastards floating around. Maybe some of those. Next up. Aemond wants Luke's eye. And so when he chases him, Vagar eats Luke and starts a civil war. If we jump back in time when Allison was like, give me your fucking eye. If we had acquiesced, if we had said, sure, give him pop out an eye. Yeah. Do we think all this would have chilled and we'd have no civil war? Uh, no, but I think that um, maybe the uh, delay in when the war starts would would ensue. Do you think that that would have stopped the war? The eye? The eye of the Luke? I tell you this. I tell you this. We're recording this podcast very late. I'm traveling. I may be delusional. If in Storm's End, when Eamon tosses the sword to, to, to young Luke, if young Luke cut out his own eye right then, I think Eamon goes, holy fuck, high five. We're like eye brothers. We can make this work. Let's have a talk to our parents. <laughs> really funny. I think he would have instantly won him over. Uh, I once saw my older brother in a game of beer pong where the other gentleman threatened to punch my brother and my older brother punched himself in the face. And the other guy said, listen, man, I'm really sorry. And immediately backed off <laughs> and apologized. For I just think you check. What maesters do you have on staff here? Like, Eamon, can we head back to King's yeah, Landing? Yeah, that's true. Make sure that we've got someone ready to make sure I don't die when I, when I cut out my <laughs> yeah. eye. Maybe they can remove it surgically. Yeah, I, I, Maybe some milk of the poppy. No, I'm not saying it's a good idea. <laughs> I think I think that would have been a moment, though, where Eamon, like, game respects game. He would have been like, all right, you crazy fuck. Like, bring it in. Let's give you a hug. We can make this work. Let's go dragon riding together. What do we got next? So Luke's dead. What's sadder, Luke being eaten by Vagar or Rickon being killed by running in a straight line? Oof. So this is easy. When they brought back Rickon, I don't think he even had a line of fucking dialogue that episode. He got brought in and then they threw the dog's head and then he's on a horse and they make him run. I, I liked you, Rickon. You were good in the years before. Then you, you grew up, you hit puberty, you got awkward and they brought you back and wouldn't even let you fucking speak. Uh, I'm much more affected by by Luke's yeah. uh, death. I'm also you? affected more by Luke's death, but I have the same qualm with him. He had the the smaller, more agile dragon. We saw that when he went down into the trench that he was able to kind of get away from Vagar. Sure, maybe Dragonfire getting in there, but if Amon wasn't trying to kill him, that probably wouldn't have been it. He should have just hidden. Like, take your dragon, take your small dragon down into the trench, get up under a ridge, don't fucking come out until the, the guy's gone. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> All right, what do we got next? Next question. One of our favorite Twitter users at Motels on the Moon has been vehemently defending Grandma Vagar's war crimes this week, saying <laughs> accurately, our producer believes, that Vagar just thought little Luke was her daily warfin pill and should not be blamed. <laughs> True or false, Grandma Vagar just forgot her glasses and can't be held accountable for killing Luke? I have been attacked by my own cats many times. <laughs> And I treat those little things like royalty and I love them with all of my heart. And yet still, just the other day, I was attacked while playing video games. They do what they want. What that means is if a cat gone a cat, a dragon gone a dragon, 
I think when Grandma Vagar is floating around and she sees a little shape fly under her, she's like, ooh, I'll attack it. No. Just like my cat would <laughs> a red light from that pen. So I'm going to give Vagar the pass on this one. I think you twinkle a little toy in front of her. She's going to attack. Are, are you think you think it was mean? I don't think that that's what happened. Um, I think that the little dragon got a little sick of being bullied and went like, hey, man, stop it right now. And Vagar was like, oh, you want some of this? <laughs> and took him out. Um, so yeah. to get even yeah. more, Grandma Vagar and Socialist Amon will link to their Twitter profile in the show notes. And speaking of great fan theories, whether or not it came true, what was your favorite fan theory this season? I'm going to turn this on you, Nicole. My least favorite is anytime we think a character is becoming the Night King because they're old. Shh, fuck off. I am. I do not think we're doing any Night King shit. Nobody is a Night King because they've I got boils that. or have leeches. I, I love Damon I am... as the Night King. So that was that was my favorite <laughs> fan theory for sure. Is Damon becoming the Night King? That was that was not my favorite. Uh, uh, I think that. My favorite fan theory is actually a a actor Ooh. fan theory, which is that uh, all of the actors who portrayed Alicent and Rhaenyra portrayed them as if they were in love. Yeah. And I think that is a that is a fan theory. It's something they thought of based on the words in the text. It never right. says it mm-hmm. in Fire and Blood. And they played it that way. And I think it informed their performances. And so whether or not when George R. R. Martin wrote those characters, he thought that they were yeah i think it's a great fan theory and i think it's really cool that uh the performers uh bought into that i like that one too i'm gonna hit you with another one to everyone's dismay melisandra is technically probably alive at this time frame yes do you think one of the theories rolling around on the internet is that Masaria is melisandra do you think that oh, Masaria is melisandra no i like it no i like it so you want to take us through the last question, David? So this is a spinoff of Game of Thrones. Uh, it is the second spinoff of Game of Thrones. The first one had a very expensive pilot uh, that apparently sucked uh, for, for various reasons. Uh, so this was our second one. It was obviously very successful based on ratings. It has been renewed for a second season. Uh, we have spent more than 10 hours talking about it with our fans and have really enjoyed it. After seeing how this season played out, we talked very way back on our first episode that there was stories about Nymeria, uh traveling the seas. There was stories about how the uh, how the White Walkers were first created. Mm-hmm. There was yeah. stories about Corlys uh, sailing the seas and doing his voyages. That's a cool one. Yeah. Since then, we've heard about Jon Snow having a potential series. Mm-hmm. Do you think we should have more spinoffs? And if so, which one would you want to see the most? And it may be the one of the ones I listed. It may be uh, another one. Yeah, I mean, I definitely want more spinoffs as long as they're given the same care as this one has been. And then the one I'd want the most, although I can't convince myself of how they would do this because I feel like Jon Snow went to the North to like live a quiet and peaceful life. And I don't know what would be compelling enough for a TV show that would happen up there. But I would really love to see like either he or, or like Arya's continuation would be really interesting to me, but it has to be done well. And I can't think of, I can't think of that, but I'm sure maybe someone smarter than me could. Yeah. So I'd love game of Thrones to be sort of like Marvel to me, which is just give me the content. Even with Marvel, you can choose what you watch and don't watch. Yeah. If you're not into She-Hulk, like don't watch it. That's cool. You'll still like go see end game, go see the Avengers movie. Yeah. But if you don't like this or the other thing, don't watch it. I, 
I am very much a fan of if Game of Thrones comes out with a Jon Snow in the North and I'm not into it. That's okay. Yeah. You don't you, I don't have to be Fair in everything. Yep. It's, it it doesn't hurt Game of Thrones for me or it won't hurt this. Uh, the only thing I will say is I have heard talk about people saying that they should do animated series. I am not into anime animated series. It's just not something I could I can do. Um, I know there are good ones. Certainly I've heard of of those. But if they do like a, a Game of Thrones animated show, I'm probably not going to watch. I know we don't need it. But if you told me we were doing Robert's Rebellion, I would watch every fucking minute of it. I, we don't need it. We know what happened. We know all the details. But if you told me we were doing Robert's Rebellion, sign me the fuck up. Yeah. No, that's definitely interesting. Nicole, heir of the season, not heir of the episode. Queen Rhaenyra, first of her name versus King Aegon, second of his name. Fat little baby Aegon <laughs> is now a king. Uh, whose side are you on? So given the full... So there were part I've picked Rainier every episode. I am picking her now. I think that there were times where I was like, eh, she's like a really immature teenager. But the full arc of Rainier this season fully is capable of leading the realm, I think, in a very responsible way. Who is your heir of this season? I'm team black. But oh God. At this stage, <laughs> I'm not anti-King Aegon. I feel like Aegon's being pushed into something. Mm. And Aegon hasn't done anything wrong yet. As king? So, uh, I mean, oh, no, let me be clear. He's, yeah, as king, he's a rapist. Let me back up. He's a rapist and an asshole. He has a child fighting ring. <laughs> yeah, so he's a bad person. And he's way worse in the books, according to you. I don't think as a king he's done anything that we have to kill. He's not, he's not Joffrey level to me in terms of... Of, oh, we need to depose him and kill him. Like, I would be okay with if they were like, yo, dude, just go across the narrow sea. Like, go be rich somewhere. And he'd be like, cool, peace. Like, I'm okay with that. So, Rhaenyra should be queen. I don't think King Aegon has issued a death sentence yet for himself. Uh, that being said, the, the rape might do it for me now that I think about it. Uh, <laughs> what are you going to miss most? Uh, we're we're going to have a wait. It's probably at least two years. Uh, we will probably not see any game of any House of the Dragon in 2023. Um, what are you going to miss most while we wait? The cinematography. The, I mean, these are some of the most, I mean, Game of Thrones included, but specifically House of the Dragon, some of the most beautiful film I've ever seen. Yeah, it's it's been gorgeous. What are you going to miss as you wait for season two? I'm going to miss this. I, you and I talk a lot about shows and we talk a lot about shows with our friends and we talk about shows with our audience, mm -hmm. which is which is great. But usually it's, did you watch this season? Did you binge that? Did you watch this? It's usually after one of us has experienced it and is then sharing with the other. I just recently I said, hey, you have to watch League of Their Own. It's a great show. Audience, if you haven't watched League of Their Own, the new series, watch League of Their Own. It's a great show. But I've told you after I watched it. And then you'll say, oh, I binged this show. And, and you tell me about mm -hmm. it. But we don't experience the shows together. Right. And I think for when we had Game of Thrones, I feel like you, I, our producer, Matt, and our friends, we experienced, along with the world, right, we experienced Game of Thrones together each week. Mm -hmm. We met each week to talk about the show and we ex that we just experienced. So I feel like it was a, it was a communal experience again. Mm -hmm. We're all experiencing this together and reacting together. And I think that's really cool. And I don't, right. I don't think that happens a lot anymore because everyone binges and purges and whatever the hell we do with these shows. It's it's rare that we get to experience something together over over this period yeah. of time. So I'm going to miss this. Oh, that's really nice. 
Nicole, thank you so much for joining me, not only on this episode, but the season. Hell yeah. Folks, that's a wrap on season three of It's Not TV. Please join us next week for the premiere of our new podcast, uh, Novel Context Dracula. We are excited to take our hot D energy to Transylvania. We'd love for you to come along with us. Please check out our Twitter feed at It's Not TV Pod. Even though Hot D is over, we'll still be posting plenty of Westeros content over there, including casting and speculations as the new season uh, begins filming. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. A very special thank you to our producer, Matt Malone. It's Not TV is a production of Bruit Media. We wish you good fortune in the pods to come. better yeah i like cregan better fuck you they have british accents they're gonna say it yeah but he's also a foreigner i don't trust he's, that he's a he's an i'm american. pretty sure in the show they said cregan he's american i'm pretty sure she does fuck off whatever all right all right so we were just arguing with our producer how to pronounce uh the, the lord of the starks and uh the lord of the starks We've got a whole season to debate it. I won't say the name. Uh...